All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've given us the scriptures. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the work of the Son, Jesus. And now we ask you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to illumine our minds to see what you're about so that we can live your way in your world and we could be more like your Son and honor you in all that we say and do. We love you, Lord Jesus. Now open our eyes to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Kenny did such a good job last night of explaining the beginning of Romans 5. I just want to continue on where, where he started. Remember, we're in a section. We're looking at a letter, but there's a logic to it. And Paul starts with what the gospel is, what the message is. And now we flip to chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, which drill out hope. What does the good news do? Let's just say Jesus puts you in the right. Let's just say he, he connects your relationship with himself again. Let's just say he actually forgives sin. If all those things are true, what should mark my life? What should mark your life? Where are we headed? So we're looking at the hope of the good news in all of chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. And so since Kenny started us off, I thought we'll just read what he read and then we'll continue on afterwards. The best word to describe the Jesus follower, according to Paul in Romans 5, is hope. But what does that mean? Hopefully it will become clear. Uh, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since you've been justified or you've been placed into the right through faith or through trust, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So evidently Jesus has actually made a difference in today's life. There's grace and there's peace. And so he continues, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Pause. So just because Jesus has done these things doesn't mean we don't go through hard times. No, we actually can boast about them. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So I just want us to see the three things that Kenny talked about last week and hopefully we'll expand on them. Three things that we saw already. We have peace with God. There's been a divide, but that has been healed. We're now at peace with God. We're not running against him. We're in step with him. We also have the grace of God. God's favor towards us. I don't deserve that, but he treats me in a way that I do not deserve. That's grace. He empowers me. He's with me. That's grace. And then ultimately, even in the hard stuff, we can live with hope. So before we move on, though, I want, because some of us missed last week, to drill down what hope is and isn't. Hope in our culture, hope in our lingo, in our vernacular, is more like wishful thinking. Like, I hope we get two days of sun in a row. Am I alone in this? Like, I hope. But that, I can't cause that. I can't do anything. I can just read the forecast and hope that they're wrong, which the next seven days is just dreariness, okay? Welcome to your future. So that's hope. Like, I hope I find a good parking spot. I hope I get a raise at work. I hope the Blazers win a game. 
or a few in a row. Like, right? Now, I can't, I can't do anything about that. But I can, I can hope. See, that's our understanding of hope is wishful thinking. But when the Bible uses the word hope, we're using English, but when the Bible's thinking hope, this is what it means. Biblical hope is expectation. It's a certainty. In the Bible, when we're looking at hope, it's an absolute confidence that what God has promised is actually going to happen. So that's not the same thing as our culture. It's not just, oh man, please. It's hope for the Jesus follower is I expect. I am confident if God said it, it's going to actually happen. And trust me, if there is a time in our world, in our country's like moment where biblical hope needs to rise up in those who follow Jesus, it is right now. You can't look at the headlines without wondering, does anyone have hope? Everyone fighting each other for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of negativity. You want to have a better day? Don't read the news. Now, you should because we want to be informed. But at the same time, the fact that you amend that shows that our world is dying for something that's certain. And the thing is, Paul in Romans 5 is saying, in Jesus, some things are certain. So we're living in a world that's messed up. We're living in personal worlds that are scrambled. Wouldn't it be great if before you came in here, you could lock your problems in your car and just come in and say, see you in two hours and then kick them out of the car before you go home. Wouldn't it be that, like, wouldn't that be wonderful? But you can't. You see, you, you brought whatever is going on in your own world, you brought it with you because trouble is real and it's hard to shake. And what we're going to see is that hope makes a difference. Now, in the middle of your issue or challenge, there are three there are three reasons or three realities that I can step into those real problems, not avoid them, not ignore them, not stick your head in the sand and say it's not happening. I can face them with biblical hope for three reasons. Number one, and we see it in the text, we are never alone. We're never alone. Look at, look at verse 5 again. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So why do I live with hope? I'm never alone. Why do I know I'm not alone? Because God's love has been poured out to us by means of the Holy Spirit. So I want to geek out for a second because when you learn another language, it actually helps you learn English better. English grammar, we take it for granted because you learned it when you were so small. You learn another language, you learn how, how tenses work like past and present and future and what words mean. So I want us to look um, at hope, the word ekeo, in the way Paul wrote it and what it means. So again, you don't need to know this. There's no test. You don't get anything for it, but a bonus prize, right? Ekeo is a passive indicative. Isn't that so much clearer? Isn't that so much easier? I know three people in this room. <laughs> I know three people in this room are like, I actually know what you're talking about. Okay, here's how language works. So something could be passive or active. It, it's something that is done to me or someone else did it or I did it, right? And a, a word could be an indicative. It's just true of me. It's, it's what's happening to me. 
Or it could be a command, an imperative. You go do that. You pour out. If I've lost you, that's okay. We're going to come back. Here's why this is important. What is God's love like? Are you commanded to love God in Romans 5? Well, we know we should love God. But what Paul's saying is the reason I have hope is that I'm never alone. Why do I know I'm never alone? Because God has echoed you and me. He has shown his love. It's passive. I received it. I didn't earn it. I didn't grab it. I didn't find it. I didn't dig for it. I got it. And it's indicative. It's not like I'm commanded to do something and then I get something. God's love is already on your life. This may not, the the English or the grammar part of it may be irrelevant. But I just wanted you to see, I'm not making this up. This is exactly what he means here. You are loved by God. God has already poured out love towards you, whether you feel it or not. It's passive. God shows it. God pours it. Now, now how does this happen? And this is huge. God's love is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's more than a sense. It's real. How do I know his love is real? His love has been poured out to us by or by means of or by the way of the Holy Spirit. So how do I know that I'm loved? The source of hope, hear me, is a person. It's not a fact. It's a person. The, if, uh, how, how do I live with hope? How do I face this challenge? It's not just a truth that's going to help me. I need to embrace, I get to embrace a person. You see, God is with me. When I say I'm never alone, I'm not just saying like, hey, there are other people around you taking care of you. What I'm suggesting is following Jesus, you may not even realize it. doesn't mean it's not true. You may not realize it. The moment I trust in Jesus to rescue me and bring me home to God, God says, I'm making my life with you. We're intertwined. I am there. How do I know God's love? Because he's given us himself. Hope for us in Jesus is tied to a person. And for us here, he says, The Holy Spirit is the way I know the love of God in the real world. Now, unfortunately, because it's the word spirit, we immediately go non-real, you know? A picture of the Holy Spirit in the early part of the scriptures is a cloud, presence, right? But the problem is, if we push that metaphor too far, it's just a metaphor, you forget what's real. God is real and the person of the Holy Spirit is real and it is God come to us. Now, can I fully explain this? No. Can I fully explain God? No. Is the God that made everything fully explainable to us? No. And this is good, by the way, because I don't want a God that's so small that I can pick apart his DNA. God, though, has revealed himself as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit. And here's why this is important. In the real world of following Jesus, I think many of us have underestimated what God has given us in himself. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So verse 5, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's already, it happened in the past and now it's affecting my today is, is the mindset of what he's saying. If you are a follower of Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. The question I want to ask you is this. 
how well do you know the Holy Spirit? Some of you are like, you're starting to creep me out. You're saying, I know God, the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, yes. The Holy Spirit is described as a counselor. How good is a counselor that you never talk to, that you don't know, that you don't listen to, that you don't interact with? How much counsel are you going to get? The Holy Spirit is a comforter. How comforting is someone you never interact with? The Holy Spirit is not someone other than God. It is God come to you. The person of God come to you. I'm trying to use human language to describe something that's completely beautiful and wonderful and above my pay grade. But I can say this. The Holy Spirit is knowable. And we get the privilege of growing in hope by knowing the Holy Spirit. So you're like, okay, you're really creeping me out. Unfortunately for us, we think of the Spirit as immaterial. We think of the Spirit as a force, as a feeling. And all throughout the writings of Scripture, in Acts particularly, the person of the Holy Spirit is interacting with God's people and amazing things are happening. Now, I'm going to pause. I could say so much more here. I'm tempted to. But I'm going to wait. Here's why. Uh, 16 times in these four chapters, Paul is going to refer to the Holy Spirit. You think he's trying to make a point? 16 times in these next four chapters, you're going to see what the Spirit does in our life and how the Spirit enables us to follow the way of Jesus. All I want you to think about today is, is it possible for you to welcome the Holy Spirit in greater measure, embrace his presence, talk with him, interact with him, listen to him, and grow in God? The answer is yes. And I would say, if you want to grow deep in the middle of your suffering, to grow deep in hope, it comes through the gift of God who's already come to you, and that is the Holy Spirit. Our rational thinking has made everything I just said sound absolutely foolish, but it's true. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're saying, Jose, you're getting a little too touchy-feely, can we move on to something concrete? Okay, we will. Here's, here we go. That's not touchy-feely, but it does sound strange at first. I get it. The second thing that could ground us in hope, though, we're going to see in verse 6. So just look at verse 6 of Romans 5, and then let's, uh, let's tease it out. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, key verse here demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Second thing that we see, if you want to ground your life in hope, is that we see the proof of God's love in Jesus. First, you're never alone. The Holy Spirit has come. But also, if that sounds too ethereal, you can see in time, space, history recorded, by the way, no no scholar worth their weight is going to deny that Jesus was born on planet Earth and died as a Roman prisoner and was executed. Now, people will say, did he rise again? The Christians made it up. But Jesus is a historical fact. More proof about him 
than most any person in all of history. So I think God is so good. He ties his love to something you can verify. Jesus. You see the proof of God's love in Jesus. So what does love look like? Look at, look at verse 6. You see it just around time when we were still powerless. Jesus dies for the ungodly. What does God's love look like? God, while we are in rebellion, while we're enemies, while we're avoiding him, while we're happy doing our own thing, at that point, God says, I love you. Now, it's easy to love someone who's lovable. Would you agree? When you have someone that's affectionate towards you and kind and caring and generous, it's easy to love them back. But what about that stubborn person in your world? What about that person that gets under your skin? Try just evoking love for them. It's not natural. It's just not. Try loving your enemy. It's not natural. But wouldn't we agree, while, while we won't agree about war, I think most of us will say, if you hear a story or meet a person who went and put their life in harm's way in a moment of danger to protect someone else, we would all call that heroic, wouldn't we? Now, that could be a, a soldier who, who puts themselves in harm's way for, their, for the people that they know. It could be a medic who says, I'm going to help bring healing to people with bombs flying over my head. There is something about the human experience when someone demonstrates this sacrificial love for people they're not even related to or can't do anything, when someone gives themselves for someone else, we would all say, like, that's the kind of person you want to be, right? Can I just suggest to you, the reason we feel that way is because embedded in our soul, God has shown us what love is like. And he's shown us what real love is like by giving himself while we're ungodly, while we're unrepentant, while we don't care, while we're doing our own thing, that's when God loves us. It's one thing for God to say, I love you after you do X, Y, Z. But for God to show his love by giving himself to us while we don't care, and God who knows all things knows that most people aren't going to believe it and are going to reject him, and he does it anyway. That's what real love is like. And that's what we all want. That's what we want to be like. That's like ambitious in our soul. And it comes from God himself. So Jesus says, Luke 5, 31. Jesus said, it's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. Now he's not just talking about sickness. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. So, so Jesus understands his mission full well. Those who those who are, are at a low, that's who Jesus has come for. Those who are sick, that's who Jesus has come for. And so when you look at your life and you look at where you've been and you look at your attitude towards God and you realize that even in your worst state, God has shown his love for you, it ought to motivate you to live in hope. Not only are you not alone, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say this with confidence. I have seen God's love. Now, experientially, you may feel like, you know, I, when I think about God, I think way off there. I don't, I don't see him as being here. I think we can grow in experiencing God's presence for sure. But you can objectively just look to the cross of Jesus 
And if you want to know what love looks like, it's Jesus saying to his very persecutors and killers, Father, forgive them. It's one thing to say, forgive someone else. They are mocking him. They are killing him. Father, forgive this whole lot. They don't even know what they're doing. That's love. That's love on display. And so, yes, there are times when God seems so far off. And so, for some crazy reason, and it goes in cycles, I seem to have met more people in this last couple of months who are wrestling with cancer than and it just goes in cycles. Sometimes it's something else. And, and I know plenty of people who are dealing with underemployment. Work hard. Trying hard. Just don't seem to be able. It's as if the housing market continues to rise beyond what pay scale. Just seem like just scraping by. Or maybe a rebellious son or daughter or friend. And it just breaks your heart. You're like, God, why? Or just you're just feeling lonely and I want to feel connected, but I just feel so alone or anxious or depressed or pain. I just need you to know those are real. And God in his mercy doesn't cause them, but uses them. So our suffering can develop, for the Jesus follower, a deeper well of hope. Because you realize God's with you. And you see God objectively working in Jesus. And then you see him working in your own soul. And if you know other Jesus followers, you see him working there as well. So when God seems far off, I can put my hope in what I've seen about God. So hope in Jesus. Now the third thing, and I just want to round out the last few verses here and then apply it out. Let's just pick it up in verse 9. So Romans 5, we'll start in verse 9. It says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to, to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, already happened, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Third thing that I want us to see when it comes to living with hope, not only do you need to remember God is close, and not only do you need to remember that God has already done in Jesus the most loving thing. So, of course, if he did that, how much more is he going to take care of you and me? But number three, and it sounds so cheesy, but we just need to say it as it is. We know now that the best is yet to come. And that sounds like such a Christian cliche, you know? Man, I, the best is like in your future and sorrows like in the wind, uh, in the rearview mirror, but hopes in the window, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like an optimist lens that just, that's just not real. Like, it's just, Jose, you're just chipper, you're positive. I see things the way they really are. Well, actually, in Scripture, I see things the way they really are. Are. And so I just want you to see why I can live with hope. And it has everything to do with what God's already planned. You see, we use one word to describe what God has done, but that's just too short-sighted. So let me ask a trick question. When were you saved? When did it happen? So I remember when I was like seven years old, and I, I was probably younger, but I can remember 
understanding my own rebellion because I was that kid, you know, this the, the, the parents love but don't necessarily want in that <laughs> strong-willed, always right. By seven, I was already smarter than my parents and I knew what to do and I don't need anyone to tell me. And, and I love to wrestle with my parents. You know, eat your food. I don't want to. There are people starving in the world. Well, send it to Africa. I'll pay the postage. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> but I was that kid. But I knew at seven that I had stumbled far from God. So that's when I was saved, right? When were you saved? Now, I don't want to confuse you. But I want to be clear on Paul's language because he says there's so much more and the best really is yet to come. So here's what Paul does. He uses words that are specific. You were justified. You were put in the right. You were on the wrong side of the court, guilty, and God puts you on the side that says set free and right. You were given righteousness. I was given the ability to stand with God. I was reconciled. Do you ever have that relationship where you used to be friends and now you just tolerate them? And then something happens and whatever that thing was, that misunderstanding goes away and that love, that friendship is closer. You've been reconciled. What Paul says is that happened, that happened, that happened. And then he says, you will be saved. In other words, you haven't been saved yet which is contrary to everything that I think. What is he meaning? Now, I'm not trying to confuse you, but I want to be precise. You see, what Paul is saying is that, let's just, we'll, we'll geek out for another second because you, you were really interested by the other grammatical thing. I know you were, theoretically. Just check out and come back in five minutes. All right. The word saved, sozo, here is a future passive indicative, which makes it very clear, right? Well, the first one we could figure out is saved already happened, happening now, or will happen? The word future kind of tells us that one. Paul actually says, you will be saved. You haven't yet. What? This is passive. I don't action it. I don't save myself. It's indicative. It's true of you. You, if you are in Jesus, this sounds crazy. Someday you will be saved. Now, since... I'm like confusing things. Let me make it clear as I can. Illustrations sometimes help. So race, there's, you're at the starting block, whether it's short or long, and then the gun goes off and you begin, right? You're running. And then you're in the middle and you've done your one lap or two laps or three laps. But where are you going towards? You're going towards a finish line. You see, a, a race has a beginning and a middle and an end. So in the Bible... In the writings, you sometimes see the word saved as it already happened. Sometimes it's like now. Here, though, it's in the future because Paul wants to expand our view about what it means to walk with God. It has a real beginning. The best is yet to come because those who have, pff, the race, those who have started trust in Jesus and have begun to walk as one of his followers, we're going somewhere. The reason I can live with hope now, because any of you who have done a race in the middle, it sometimes just gets hard. I did a, a half marathon, the Helvetia, over here. And I remember, I'd never done a race before, so start with a half marathon. Duh. <laughs> and I remember about mile 11 of 13, 
um, my calves just started popping like a little twitch. I was dehydrated. I found out afterwards you need more liquid than you think. So right over here and right over here, the first one would be a little twitch. I'd be running and literally like popcorn, pop, and I would, whoa, and it was like a jolt. And then I kept going, and then it would be the other one. And then it would be ba-boom, ba-boom. And I probably look like a drug addict running because I'm like, you know, I'm, 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 and I, but I'm so determined to get over that finish line because there's food over there. I'm so determined. I run and run and run. It, it wasn't hardest at the beginning. It was hardest as it went on. What I'm saying is the hope that I have in Jesus is God says you will make it to the end. So when my faith seems weak and when my hope grows small and when my struggles seem realer than God, we can live with hope because we know that God says those who start the race, I'm going to get you there. Even when you feel like you can't get there yourself, it's passive. It's happened to me. Now, I did do something. I placed my trust in Jesus. I received his gift. So there is there's an element that I'm in it, but I'm actually... If there's lifting, God's doing all the lifting, and I'm doing the little, you know. I have a part to play, but it's to receive. I'm not earning it. I'm getting it. So I was saved when I was seven, and I am saved now. But sometimes if, if I forget the future, I miss out a great well of joy and hope. i got to realize that God's best for me, I haven't even seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. And I could say with confidence, God has been so good to me. I, I, I feel like he's, I've, give, I've been given more than I could ever ask and dream. And God's saying, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more for you. And he'll say, you can make it through those tough days because I have more for you. So to be clear, salvation is a moment and it's a process. It's a beginning and an end. And so I don't need to be discouraged in the middle. It's a moment. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. For he, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Already happened. He's, he's talking to Jesus' followers. He did that and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a fact. So if you're in Jesus, it already happened. It's a moment. And so I would encourage you, if you have not had the moment where... You began the race. You began the joy of knowing God and walking with God. It's got to start somewhere. And you should start like now. You should start yesterday practically. But since you missed that moment, grab today's. And today, in response, say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Give me your forgiveness, your redemption, justification, reconciliation, adoption. I don't know what any of those mean. Just give me. I just want them. You don't have to know these terms. But when you know them, it just helps you appreciate what God has done for you. So the reality is the best is yet to come, though, because it's also a process. It happened, but it is happening, and it will happen. So I love reading the Bible. Whenever I read it, I read it in multiple English translations because sometimes you get a nuance in one. It's not like one is more right. It's that there are nuances in language that one translation, it's hard to pick up on. New Living for um, Romans 5 10 and 11. I'll just put it on the screen since you probably don't have it. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son. So I love this. Reconciliation, the making right. 
I love how New Living, our friendship with God was restored. That's the heart of to be reconciled. I'm, I'm against God and his plan. And, and God says, no, I want you back. By the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So it happened. I, I was an enemy. I'm, not, I'm now on God's side. But we will be saved. So what do I do in the now? So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. So now I can live with hope. Now I can live with joy. Because our Lord Jesus has made us friends of God. Now when I say friend, don't just think like, hey, chill. He's still God, okay? Calm down. But I think the, the language is actually helpful. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're close, you're in right step with God. And since we've been turned from enemies to friends, we can now live with hope and we can live with joy. And I, I'm just saying this because there are 10,000 messages a day contradicting everything I just said. Everything in life is going to move us to a place where we should worry. We should doubt. We, we should wonder, like, God, where are you? And if you feel like, I love Jesus, but I seem to struggle and wrestle with doubt and worry and anxiety and all of that, join the club. That is a natural human response to a messed up world and the circumstances that are really tough. So walking through cancer, knowing that you love Jesus and may not live as long as you anticipated because that thing may take your life. How do you wrestle with that? Is God loving? Is God good? Does God care? Yes, he does. You can live with hope because no matter the number of your days, which by the way, God knows the number, you don't. No matter the number of your days, if you follow Jesus, you live with hope because you know that to be absent from the body is to be present with God himself. And if you think this life with him is good, which I think it is good, think of life without the baggage of my bent towards being sinful. In the life to come, I get to walk with God on planet Earth with a life that doesn't wear out. I could go to the gym because I want to, not because I have to. I get to eat what's good and pure because it hasn't been tainted. I get to be with brothers and sisters. Our reality is eternity with God here living in friendship with God and one another without the chaos. Come on. If you think this is a good plan, think of the plan to come. And why do I say that? That is not escapism. That is Christian hope. It's to know this life is already broken because the world is broken. And until God restores all of it, brokenness will come my way. So I was telling uh, our friends an hour ago, my wife has walked through this weird medical thing at least 15 years, and we can't figure it out. And, um, and we love Jesus, and we try to live faithful, but something's not clicking, and her, and her heart rate goes up, and her blood pressure drops, and she faints, which is quite dangerous. And so we've, she's been poked and prodded by everybody, and we've seen every, I could show you the bills. We've seen every specialist, she even swallowed a pill with a, they have pills with cameras in it. Photos every four seconds of your entire intestinal tract. Crazy. 
I can tell you how much that costs too. And then to get a report two days later, that's like catch 22. Everything looks good. I'm like, find something. So I rejoice that everything looks good, but at the same time, you just popped a pill that cost many thousands of dollars and you didn't find a thing. We understand what it's like to be frustrated. And so this person says, I think it's this, and this person says, I think it's that. And the other honest person says, I have no idea. And that's frustrating. And so we understand, just like you understand, that I'm not promised an easy life because I follow Jesus. What I am promised, though, is that we are never alone. And God objectively already showed me his love in Jesus. So if he, if he gave me Jesus, is he not going to take care of the other things that are pressing in my world? Of course he is. And I know that even if it doesn't work out the way, and this is, this is a tough one, but we got to be clear. Following Jesus doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want. and doesn't mean you're going to get everything when you want. And it doesn't mean you get extra that's pain-free. It does mean that Jesus is there, though, and your future is way better than any future apart from Jesus. So we live with hope because we know that God is making it right. <laughs> One of the weirdest things of how God works. So I shared this an hour ago. I had three different people, now we'll see if they're right, come up to me and say, it sounds like, it sounds like, it sounds like. And they happen to be in the medical profession. All three of them told me the same exact thing. So at least like, man, that gives me even hope. I should, I should air our laundry more often, man. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm coming to church every day. But it actually gave me hope. Like there could be something that hasn't, been investigated yet. Is that what it is? I have, I have no idea. But like, man, God, you would even stir three friends to tell me you should check out this part. I'm encouraged. And my friend, in the middle of suffering, it's not easy. We get it. So we don't make light of our suffering. We don't underplay it. But we put it in balance. How is 30 years, 40 years, 60 years of suffering, how does that stack up against a lifetime of God? That, that doesn't help you when you're throwing up in the middle of the night and you're going through pain, but it can help you to see the big picture. And my friend, hope is at the center of our faith because hope is in a person who is God. So here's what we want to do. We want to not just talk about it, we want to engage in it. So I'm going to invite us to really work through, how do I step into hope? I think the first thing is to say, I need to receive. Remember, these were passive indicatives. These are things that God does for us and he gives to us. So if you're like most of us, and most of us who say, if I do, God will do, we got the wrong order. Just have, that's just not how it works. Time out. God does not work like a currency exchange, you know? I give you dollars, you give me euros. This is not how it works. God has already given us the Holy Spirit. That means God's presence is in our world. And so what we do is we just, we receive. So don't let anything keep you. You say, Jose, but I sinned this week, I'm in a mess, I don't feel close to God. Those things are real, but God's love is realer. So just 
humble yourself and admit, I don't deserve it anyway, and receive. Receive God's love. Receive God's mercy. Receive God's grace. And I think the best way this happens is when we come to God together. So what we're going to do is as we move forward, we're going to have some of our friends, some of you we didn't get to you beforehand, we're going to ask you to go to the sound booth and put on a prayer lanyard. We're going to have some of our friends, just ladies and men, young and old, in the back, and they're just going to have a little tag that says prayer. And when we open things up, we just want you to respond to God by humbling yourself, to be quite honest, and saying, hey, friend, who you've never met, will you pray with me? It's interesting. When James talks about healing, he, he says, if anyone's sick, you should call the elders. And the prayer of faith, that person will be made whole. And the object is not to say the elders have mystical powers. The object is to say when we are in need, we ought to come to God's people because God works through God's people. And in God, that person will be made whole. So if you're not the kind of person that normally opens up, you don't have to read your mail. Just say, hey, could you pray for me? I've had a rough week. Or could you just pray that I'll walk in peace because my life is full of turmoil. That's it. And we want to pray God's blessing and God's reality in your world. Is that cool? So we want to do that more often. Rather than I hear it, take notes, go home, and do nothing with it. We want to engage. So I'm going to invite you to stand now, if you would. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to open up the tables as we sing. Uh, we do the bread and the cup differently from time to time. So we're going to do that. When we open it up, and I invite you to go to the back and just find a friend and let them pray God's love over your life and God's peace. Don't feel ashamed. I need it. We all need it. When you do that, at any point during any of these songs, go to the table and pick up the bread and take the cup. Go back to your seat. Thank God for the gift of Jesus and receive it. That's just a word of love. When you go, because we, we don't have anyone staring you down when you go to the table, it's really for those who are following Jesus already. And so you can eat the cracker and drink the juice and it will do nothing for you. Those are symbols and reminders of what Jesus has already done in the life of those who follow him. So I'd encourage you, if you're just checking it out, if you're just here with a friend, you don't need to go there. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you are welcome to come and eat and drink as a celebration of what God already did on the inside. So um, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and it's open. If you need prayer, immediately just go and talk to a friend. If you want to go to the bread and the cup after one song, do that. Be free. And then at the end, Brandon will just close us out. Lord, we uh, thank you that you're working and your love is real and we can already see it in Jesus. And now we sense it because you've given us your presence, your Holy Spirit, to remind us of your love. So Holy Spirit of God, take all this stuff that we're going through and as we pray for one another, bring real healing, real wholeness, real deliverance, real freedom, real change. We invite you, Spirit of God, to work through us as we come together in the name of Jesus.